Most all of us have the highest expectations for others and ourselves, but it's hard to follow through on everything. On this episode, how to influence the highest standards and what to do when we fall short. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 401. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. One of the key calls for leadership for all of us is to set and to be able to achieve high standards, not only for ourselves, of course, also for the people we have the privileged influence and, of course, for the organization as well. Today, I am so glad to welcome an old friend to the show who has just been a leader in so many ways in her career of helping people to do this so well. In addition, is just one cool cat that I have had the privilege of getting to work with over many years. I'm glad to welcome Sheila Miller-Nelson to the show. Sheila is the owner of Midian Consulting. She is dedicated to helping people learn how to truly connect to create better relationships and enhance leadership. She's a former trainer with Dale Carnegie. Her experience in communication and leadership coaching spans more than 25 years. Additionally, she has over 15 years in the aerospace and defense industry and has worked with organizations like Raytheon, Golden State Foods, United Airlines, and many others. And in addition to all that is an old friend. Sheila, I'm so glad to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Dave. It's lovely to be here. So I was thinking back about our work together, and you and I have spent, I was trying to add up, we've probably been together in the classroom with corporate clients hundreds of hours together, maybe? (laughs) Does that sound right to you? At least hundreds of hours of fun. Yeah, yeah. We had a blast. Um, Sheila, as I mentioned in the bio, was a Carnegie instructor for many years, as I have been. And you know, one of the things that I loved about working with you, Sheila, amongst many things, is anytime we were on a project together, not only did I know that it was going to go great because of your talents, but I also knew we were going to have so much fun. So uh, I'm so glad to welcome you. I'm glad to have you here. Well, thank you. And I appreciate all the times we were together. And you, out of probably anyone else I know, give the most gentle guidance and coaching. It really doesn't feel as though there's even a a correction. It's really magical the way that you're able to coach people. So I thank you that I've gotten to where I am in part because of the things that you had to help me with and and things you were able to uh, guide me through. So I appreciate that. Oh, well, the pleasure has been mine. And, you know, one of the reasons I've mentioned our Carnegie experience together is because uh, some of what we're going to talk about today actually was inspired by your work at Carnegie over the years, you and I specifically spent probably our most time in presentations courses together, teaching people stand-up presentation skills, PowerPoint, how to get in front of a room. And you have moved on in your own work of doing a lot of teaching of corporate clients um, and individuals on how you're always presenting. And I'm, I'm curious, where did that come from? How did that emerge initially? We have our our body language, of course, our facial expressions and our tone of voice. And we think about those so often when we get up in front of the room and we're talking and, and communicating with the group. 
what I found is we often don't think about those things when we're not at the front of the room. So I'm sitting in a meeting and my arms are crossed and I'm leaned back and I, I seem disengaged or I have a scowl on my face and I, I don't mean to. I just maybe I'm in thought about something else or something at home is, is bothersome and, and I'm wearing that on my face while I'm doing business. And the challenge can be the continual messages aren't received in the way we intended them. So sometimes we say, well, I really don't like what's going on here, but I'm going to hide it as best I can. And, and maybe we don't really hide it as well as we think we do. Or something unintentional is going on with my body language or my, or my face or my, the way I answer a question. And it's unintentional. But in both of those cases, the communication breaks down, I lose connections with people, and I can really do some damage. And I'm certainly not going for that. So it really talks to 100% of the time, we're representing ourselves. I like to say we're our own PR firm, right? Mm -hmm. So we're always the one who's representing ourselves. Are we doing it well? And are we doing it consistently? And a lot of times that's just because we, we aren't because we haven't given the thought to it. You said the word unintentional there a bit ago, and I want to come back to that in a bit because all of us run into that, right? Like we know we should be representing ourselves well, and we do show up at a meeting and we don't at all look like we're present or we're sending the message unintentionally we didn't intend to send. Before we go there, though, one of the things I was really curious about in learning more about what you've been doing recently and bringing in this work in organizations is for how many people this is new information. And I didn't expect that. Like when you just said, you know, you are your own PR firm, you're always representing yourself. I thought, well, most people know that, don't they? But it turns out that's not always the case, is it? Well, I think I may have led you astray by saying that, Dave, because what I really should have said is it's not so much that it's new, it's new again. So like many things in life, we learn it and then we forget to remember it. Uh, and I equate this to flossing our teeth, right? Probably since we were uh, children, we've gone to the dentist or the hygienist and they write flossing and flossing is important. I think when I was in school, I even remember seeing a video about dental hygiene and flossing your teeth and how important it was. And nowadays, we even know that it's not just about having a great smile, right? I mean, flossing actually impacts more of our health or can impact it. So I know that. Am I doing it on a daily basis? Mm. I'll raise my hand and say, no, I try to do it. I know that I should do it. And sometimes I even see the dental floss and I think, wow, that extra 10 seconds or 15 seconds, that's, I just don't have the energy to do that. So I'm not going to do that tonight. So it's really not about something being brand new. It's about that concept being revisited or remembered and feeling the importance of it. And I think that's where there's a bit of a disconnect is that people think a lot of you know, flossing your teeth. I mean, really in the grand scheme of life, is this something that's going to matter at the end? I don't know. There are probably some, some medical experts who tell you, yes, it could. But because these things are so small and incremental on their own, we don't really think about the greater importance of them. And then we also think that other people think they're unimportant too. So if I don't care and you don't care, then who cares? 
Yeah, yeah, indeed. And and that, that kind of gets to one of the things that I've been thinking about in the context of our conversation, which is so much, specifically for those of us who are in leadership roles in some capacity, as most of our audience is, what we do or don't do really sets the tone throughout the organization. And particularly, one of the things that really emerged for me pretty early on in my first management role was how the things I struggled with or did not do well magnified throughout my team. All of a sudden, those were the things that they started to not do well. Or if they were doing well before, they didn't put as much attention to it because they saw me struggling with it. Does that play a role here too as well? You absolutely, as a leader, and and I say that we all are leaders. We have leadership throughout the day, leadership opportunities throughout the day, whether that's at home, in our community, at work. We've all heard, right? You don't have to have the title, et cetera. And again, we hear that or we even say that, but we don't necessarily believe it and embody it, right? Am I acting like a leader? Here's an example that I've had a quite a bit of really in-depth discussion on this because when I first bring it up, people say, this is silly. And by the end of a half an hour conversation, we're feeling much more the weight of it. And the example is swearing in a business sense, right? At work. and. I will have a client say to me, oh, yes, I swear, or perhaps we're just in class. I'll, I'll make an announcement at the beginning of, of, of a session that, hey, one of the things we'll do here is, um, is, is be courteous to everyone in the room, and one of those things would include not swearing. And then inevitably, someone will, will swear. And so we'll talk about, well, Yes. I mean, it's not a big deal, right? I'm, we're all adults here in the room and uh, lots of people do it. And it's kind of the feeling of, well, just you know, get over it. It's not a big deal. If I, as a leader, have that attitude, let's say in my staff meeting or throughout the workday, that that's no big deal. And I do it and I let other people do it and it's no big deal. Now, one of my team members takes that attitude to a client site. Right. So now I've perpetuated it or allowed it to happen. And then they've taken it to a client site and the client is put off by it or they think it's unprofessional or at least unnecessary. Yeah, it, it really does come down to how we behave and people watch what we do, of course, so intently and take direction from it. I remember as a Carnegie instru- a new Carnegie instructor going through certification for the first time. And I'm not sure if you heard this uh, too, Sheila, but one of the things, there's an old quote from Carnegie, and I'm not going to get it right because I couldn't find the exact quote, but Carnegie said something to instructors in the realm of no participant in a training course will ever exceed the standard that's set by the instructor, that mm-hmm. the instructor sets the bar. And if the instructor sets the bar in the middle or low, that no, very rarely is someone going to go beyond that. But if the instructor sets a very high bar, you give people then the freedom to really fulfill their, their potential as much as possible, at least in a training experience. And that's really stuck with me over the years. And I think about that in the context of what you just said. If you set a high bar, it's a lot more likely that people are going to thrive and, and set the high bar for themselves, right? Absolutely. And ultimately, we're saying to them, when we set a lower bar, I don't want you to try. I don't need you to try. 
you're not worth it. I'm not worth it. The company's not worth it. The team's not worth it. It's such an absolutely negative message. I mean, I can't think of the good that comes from setting the bar anywhere except high. Now, now sometimes people would say, oh, if you set it too high, then people won't, won't strive for it because they know they can't achieve it. I think that a lot of attitude, leadership attitude comes into play there. How am I setting the bar? What am I saying about it? And probably most importantly, how am I acting? Am I jumping? Am I leaping? Am I trying all of my might and power to reach and grab onto that bar or or not? Am I just saying, hey, you know, it would be great for you guys. Here's this really high expectation and standard. But it goes back to what I practice, how I practice, right, is how I'm going to perform. So what I do, how I'm promoting all of this and how I perform that's going to set the standard for the folks. Because Oren Woodward, who's a, a leadership author, has a quote that lends itself to this. He says, average leaders raise the bar on themselves. Good leaders raise the bar for others. Great leaders inspire others to raise their own bar. Oh. And that can't happen. Right? That can't happen by me telling you, here's the bar, go reach for it. Yeah. I have to show I have right I have to try as hard or harder than you're trying right so that you come along with me. I'm curious about something you said a moment ago of setting that high bar. Do you you have been a business leader, a business owner, a facilitator and you're of course a parent too and do you think it is possible to set the bar too high or is is it more a matter of how to do it? What's the quote about asking the fish to climb a tree? Something like that, right? So I think you can set the wrong bar. I absolutely think we can look and ask people to do things that they're not equipped to do or that we haven't equipped them to do. So I think there is setting the wrong bar. I think as an organization, if we really dig deep into what our mission, our vision, our goals, what are we trying to accomplish? as a team and as a company, and then also individually. If we have the right motive, I think we'll set the right bar at the right height. Yeah, and and people have, right, we've proven through history, I mean, you look at at the Olympics and, and all these things, and no, we're not all Olympic athletes, but people can do so much more if they're just allowed to. If we don't tell them you can't do it, and they're allowed to achieve, oftentimes they will. Yeah, yeah. If the if the right bar is set, as you <laughs> as you pointed out, I like not sending something that is not contextually isn't appropriate for the person or situation. But if the right bar is set, and we give people the resources, and of course the support and coaching to get there, I have been amazed how much people can and will do. But it really does come down to the integrity and also. Um, the support and really being able to, as a leader, of have those same high standards for yourself, and that that actually brings me to another piece of this, which is congruency. Because a lot of what we're talking about is we all know how to, you know, whenever you ask someone like, "What does it take to be a good leader?" <laughs> a lot of people will say similar things, right? You know, mm-hmm. you want to support people and be a good coach and delegate and have a vision. And there's uh-huh. there's some similar things that always come up. And yet, we aren't always congruent in every situation. When you're working with people on really finding congruency and being more consistent in congruency, what do you find are the things that work? 
the one thing that I find is missing for most folks is deciding who you are, who you want to be, what you're striving for. Let me back that up a little bit. I ask people, what if I left the room or right when I leave the room, what do I want people to say about me? How do I want them to describe me? Mm. Oh, Sheila, she's the this person, she's that, she's and so most people haven't have missed that initial step. So you can't be congruent until you know what you're trying to be congruent with. And so defining those attributes is something that I work with people on. And there are a multitude of attributes, you know, thousands, many thousands that you from which to choose. And so the challenge can be, okay, well, where do I even start? Well, we'll pick six of them and we'll narrow down the first three. And you say, well, gosh, that's really difficult because I want to be an honest person and I want to be a family-oriented person and I want to be, right? There, you're kind of pulled in all different directions. But we're going to pick three of them and start working on those three first. And there's a very specific way that I help coach people through how to do that. And then I can start to know if I'm being congruent because I know what I'm supposed to be congruent with. Yeah. You mentioned there's a specific way that works. What do you find that works when people are exploring that for the first time of trying to narrow down to just a couple of those things to begin with? The challenge, of course, can be that it's overwhelming and there's so much. So it's kind of like... What are the first couple that pop out of you? Oh, oh, honest. I'm absolutely honest. Or right, I already feel that I am that way. So even the ones that we feel we already embody, we're going to maybe take that low-hanging fruit first and say, these are the three. Now, if I'm honest and I'm a family-oriented person, right, and I'm accessible, let's say those are my three. Well, I'm going to do a couple of things. I'm going to write those down in several, several places. And right, this is simple stuff. It's not easy, but it's simple. The steps are simple. Write those down in multitude of places. And probably the bigger and more challenging step is I'm going to tell people in my life what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm on a mission to make sure that I am who I say I am and who I want to be. And today, this week, right now, I'm starting to work on these three things. I would like your help. If you see me, A, doing something well, please feel free to to let me know that I'm on the right track, or B, if I'm not doing something. So I said accessible. So maybe my one of my team members comes and says, hey, you know what? You said accessible and your door is closed most of the time. I don't really feel like you're, you are physically accessible or right that you're, you're letting us in, that you're inviting us in. So simple things like that. And when we tell other people, which makes, you know, it's a vulnerable, that's a kind of a difficult thing to do. I mean, it's simple to go up and tell someone this. It's not, it's not easy necessarily internally to do that. When we do that, we're going back to that influence, right? Yeah. I'm your leader, and yet I'm going to tell you that I'm working on stuff. Just because I have the title or I'm in charge or whatever it is that I'm doing that, that deems me the leader... I'm still working on things. I'm I'm never going to stop working on things. So it allows other people to know that, right? Hey, you can do this too. I think this is such a key point. I'm I'm struck that when I'm in conversations with leaders in our community about making behavior change and doing things differently, that it's often a new thought 
to share what they're working on with the people in their organization. And and by the way, it's not always appropriate to do that in every context, of course, but I think for most of the time, there's an opportunity to do that. And I think about like the kinds of people that I've enjoyed being led by over the years, Sheila, is often they were the kinds of people who were sharing things like that. They'd say, hey, I'm working on this. And as a leader, I'm working on getting better at this as a human being. And I'd love your input. And even if they didn't ask for input, just knowing they were working on something, to me, they just seemed that much more accessible. But also I thought like, wow, they're learning too. And that just set the tone in the organization for learning and growth that we all want to set. Well, and it, and it's also all right. I mean, we're kind of talking in terms of being the leader and talking to our teams about it. It's also all right to flow this up, right? And again, you're you're absolutely right. In all situations, this isn't going to work. Everything is, it's always situational, but where it is appropriate to flow it up as well. Because if not, if I say, hey, I'm going to work on being these, you know, honest and family oriented and, and accessible, and I never tell anyone, then I get to do my own review. <laughs> and I'm probably going to think I'm either really terrific at it, or I'm going to say I tank. You know, I'm I'm tanking at this, and I'm doing really terribly. And then I'll probably just let it all fizzle and fall apart because I don't do well at this. So I try. Yeah. Uh, it's it's the support, and it's that people say, well, then everybody's just going to call me out every time I have a problem. Well, no, because you you'd find, and you know, you and I know this from from doing video feedback. People are not excited about being filmed. What they find, though, is that not only their audience, but when they review the footage, hey, you know what? Yeah, I've got some things to work on, but I'm really not terrible. I thought I was really nervous and I look pretty good up there and so forth. So by spreading the news that you're working on this, it allows for that positive feedback to come as well. Some of our audience will recall me sharing the 90-day commitment we use in the Academy. And one of the key points of that is exactly what you just articulated, Sheila, of getting other data points, right? Because we can delude ourselves either on the positive or the negative end of how we're doing. But if we get feedback from other stakeholders or data points or like video, like you and I have done in presentations courses for so many years, it gives us a more objective perspective as to how we're doing, right? And if we know how we're doing then it gives us the privilege to be able to decide what we can do next that realistically is going to help us to continue to improve. And that's part of the being able to set a high standard is to have a path then to get there, right? Absolutely. And and one thing that it also makes much easier, which people find a relief, is when I don't hit the mark. <laughs> when I get it absolutely wrong, then I'm able to, it is easier for me to come out and and talk with others about it because they're already on board with the plan. Mm. And we've all had plans that have gone awry or have completely failed, or we've had to pick back up and put back together, that sort of thing. So if people are on board with our plan, when we don't get it right, it's easier for us to say, hey, you know, look, I know you know that I was working on these three attributes and today I really didn't do this one quite as well as I could have, or or maybe even asking for help. This didn't feel like it went well. What could I have done better to be more accessible in that moment to you? Yeah, this is the reality of leadership, of course. And <laughs> by the way, being a parent, being a human being, is we have these standards we set, we have high ideals, of course, and then we don't meet them for whatever reason on any given day. And of course, that's just the reality of doing this. 
when we stray, you know, you've you've mentioned some of the pieces of handling that well. What is the right way to acknowledge it? How do you help people to to frame that? But the first thing is the right way is right now. As soon as it happens, people say, oh, well, this happened yesterday or last week or last month, and now I don't know what to do. It's <laughs> don't, don't let another second pass. If I step on your foot, I'm certainly not going to wait a week to apologize to you, right? It's going to happen. It's just kind of instinctive. I step on your foot. Oh, I'm sorry, Dave. So if we miss that opportunity to, and it's not necessarily apologizing, but just addressing the fact that we've missed the mark or something has has not gone the way that we said it was going to or we wanted it to. And we all do this. This is human, right? We get a little more anxious with each passing moment that we haven't addressed it. So my first thing is immediately, in fact, I just had a, a case come up, was talking with a gentleman last month, and he said, I did a presentation in December and I basically told somebody all the things that were wrong in their organization. And not only did I tell them, but I wrote it in a PowerPoint and gave it to them. (laughs) And so, and that certainly isn't who he wants to be. He wants to be a collaborator. He wants to be someone who's known for his teaming uh, and his support. So even though a couple months had passed, I said, okay, so go back to that person. And, And we talked about absolutely, you know, all the steps to address it. Hey, this is something I've done. And I don't know if if you received it the way I thought, but I just reviewed that presentation again these few months later. And man, I don't know what I was thinking that I sent that to you. And if I were you, I would not have thought fondly of me sitting across the table. And, and so being having some humility in that and just saying, why did this come up now? Or what makes you, hey, Dave you called me two months ago and I never called you back and I really feel bad. And I was just going through Queen Outs and voicemails and I cannot believe it. Just, just addressing it because it happened. So, you know, doing any sort of hiding or, or trying to forget about it or what have you, just address it, own up to it and then move on. And here, here's the other thing that I firmly believe and see when we do this, when we talk about high standards in other people, right? So we've talked about setting high standards and this this bar and so forth. Having this humility and being able ourselves to go to other people when we've missed the mark allows us to gain some grace and compassion for when other people are in the same position. Uh, yeah. Because it's easy to say, well, we've set this bar and and hey, look, I'm a leader and I'm modeling it and I'm trying my best and so forth and so on. But what happens when they fall short? What happens when they don't do well? They need to see that modeled as well. How do I come to you and say, I missed the mark? And is it okay? And I'm going to have some grace for that. And it's not going to be the end of my career here. So because it's interesting how many times people will say, no matter what their position, I mean, high, high level people are still concerned about if I make a mistake, I don't feel like I can go to somebody and tell them. Organizations have kind of broken us in a way on this. Uh, we're getting a little better in a lot of places, but traditionally, of course, it, you know, reviews happened once a month or annually or quarterly or whatever the the cadence was in the organization. And we didn't talk a lot about performance between those times. 
And more and more, we're seeing folks certainly in our community and in the broader organization world get better at coaching in the moment. And that go, that also means apologizing in the moment, right? If something happened that didn't work, if not waiting until the next review period. But I, I think sometimes it's easy to miss that because we've many of us have been conditioned to only have those conversations at some sort of regular interval. I also hear you making this distinction, Sheila, too, of we can both set the high standard in the organization and ask people to meet that high standard. And we can and will, as human beings, fall short of that occasionally and be real and be transparent when that happens and even ask for forgiveness when it's appropriate to do so. And it's not only possible, but it's necessary to hold both of those at the same time. Absolutely. And Olympic athletes are probably my my favorite go-to example of this. I mean, think about it. You talk about a high bar. My goodness, right? I mean, we're talking about records and and breaking last year's records or you know years held records but there's never a time when a coach says well you don't have to try for that today or you don't have to try for that on this pass it's just we're we're always trying and we're usually falling short there's a lot of times when we're failing and learning and saying well that didn't work let's try it this way etc but if we embrace that as a team and as a company including the leadership then we're all in it together, right? We're all doing it together and it makes sense for everybody and everybody's comfortable there. It's certainly not something that we push on other people and don't do ourselves. And it certainly goes back to what we talk about in Midian with that connection. How do we connect with people? And when we're all working towards that same high bar and we're all falling short in different places and we're commiserating and helping each other and picking each other up after that, right? That's how we build a really solid team and company. Well, speaking of falling short, as we've, <laughs> as we've talked about, uh, leaders, of course, are called to set high standards, are called to hold each other and, and the organization accountable for those high standards. And of course, we all fall short. Sheila, where have you fallen short in this path and this journey? Or where do you find yourself consistently falling short if there's some place? Well, I would say one of the places where I am not only recognize it in myself, but am uh, called, <laughs> called to the table on it, is being present at home with my children. So I have three children and I find myself saying, please take your earbuds out when someone's talking with you. Please look up from your device when someone's talking with you, those types of things. And yet... I find myself on the other side of things where I definitely am having a conversation, my phone dings, I pick it up, it's a work-related text or situation. And so I, I get distracted and I start working on that. And my kids will say, hey, I thought we weren't a lot, you know, you're supposed to look at somebody when you're, <laughs> when you're on, instead of being on your device. Now, it, I laugh about it because there's that lighthearted kind of surface, right? Oh, that's right. That's funny that the the kids are now teaching the leader. The sad part about it is, and the part that really, quite honestly, hurts my heart, is that in that moment, I'm saying to my kids, work or the device or right, my client, something else is more important than you. And when I look at my list of attributes, being a mother, being a family-oriented person is high on my list. 
But in that moment, I'm not honoring what I've written down on my list. So like I say, it's it's got that that kind of surface lightheartedness to it. But underneath it all, it really is speaking to who I am and what I, you know, what I'm choosing to do, but then how I'm influencing my kids. That's a small, small thing going back to where we started this conversation, where a lot of people would say, oh, that's no big deal. People pick up their phone all the time. It's no big deal. That's what we do in society today. That's not what Sheila does. That's not what I stand for. That's not what I want to be represented as and known for. And yet I fall short all the time. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I really resonate a lot with that. I, I think I mentioned on the show before, you know, one of the challenges I know I have, and I suspect a lot of people in our community do as well, is we work really hard to be present in the workplace and with our clients and with our colleagues on a daily basis. And many of us, not everyone, but many of us, our best hours of the day, when we're most awake, we're most alert, we've got our most energy, are during those times. And then we get home <laughs> at the end of the day, and we're not at our best because we've had a long day and we've spent a lot of time doing a really great job of being present and listening and coaching. And one of the places I find myself struggling and falling short on the high standards is I have really high standards for being kind and being patient. And I do that really well, I think, uh, most of the time, at least with clients and in professional interactions. And then I don't do that as well with our kids some days. And there are times that that's justified, but more often than not, when I do lose my temper, it's not justified. And I, I remind myself of that dichotomy often that that you mentioned too, Sheila, that you know we really do need to walk the talk. And sometimes the, the people we espouse of being most important in doing that well are the people that tend to suffer from it the most. So I think it's a, it's a good thing for all of us to be mindful of in, in the pursuit of setting and achieving these really high standards for ourselves. Sheila, I've had the privilege throughout my career and training to work with so many different kinds of instructors, and uh, so many have just uh, influenced me in wonderful ways. And you, and really one other person in my experience at Carnegie, are just at the top of my list of people who not only are so incredibly talented in the classroom and working with clients, but also just a fabulous human beings. So I'm so glad you were uh, able to share some of your wisdom with us. Thank you so much for the work you do. And uh, we're going to have links to everything you're up to in the show notes. And if your organization's looking for someone who's doing a great job at helping people get more effective through training, uh, Sheila is a wonderful resource for you. Thanks so much, Sheila. Thank you, Dave. If you found today's conversation useful, several past episodes that may also be helpful to you. One of them is episode 186, How to Become a Champion with Jeff Spencer. Jeff has coached many Olympic-level athletes as well as athletes at all levels. And on that episode, talked in detail about how athletes really go through the process of preparing for months, years in many cases, to perform in a moment that's sometimes only a few seconds or just a couple of minutes. And the practice, the dedicated practice, and the intentionality that goes into that. And of course, there's so many things that are relatable to that in leading organizations as well, too. Oftentimes, we don't know when those critical moments are going to come. And as one of my mentors said long ago, five minutes in front of the right audience can be worth more to your career than a year behind your desk. And in episode 186, Jeff really talked through 
how to make the most of those uh, moments and opportunities. So uh, check that out if that'd be useful to you. Also helpful is episode 293, Leverage Strengths Finder for your team with Lisa Cummings. Uh, Sheila talked about setting the bar in the right place and one of the great tools to really help you to determine where that bar should be and how to really help everyone to reach their highest potential is the Strengths Finder assessment. I know many of you have taken it yourself. Many of you, in fact, have utilized it for your teams. What you may not have done is take the next step. Now that you have that information and data from the assessment, you know your strengths and the strengths of the people around you, what do you do? Uh, that's the part where I find a lot of leaders and organizations often fall short of not really taking that next step to leverage Strengths Finder fully. Lisa Cummings does that in her work every single day and taught us about that in detail in episode 293. So that's a great one to check out if you're looking for a tool to do that. Uh, by the way, for those of you who have used Strengths Finder or are interested in doing that, uh, Lisa is a great resource. She does tons of work for organizations with that. She also has a podcast called Lead Through Strengths. It's a monthly show. It's a great complement to this show and will help you to learn the talents and the model of StrengthsFinder even better. So again, that's episode 293. You can find out more on that. Also valuable from this conversation, checking out will be episode 361, The Truth and Lies of Performance Management with Michael Bungay-Stanier, the author of the very popular book, The Coaching Habit, which I know many of you are familiar with. One of the things Sheila and I mentioned in our conversation is that we need to get out of this habit of not just giving feedback every quarter or every six months or whatever the review cycle is, but for that to be a regular practice in leadership at all levels. And one of the things that Michael has found in their research of talking to organizations and looking at what's changing in performance management and some organizations getting rid of performance reviews or changing it in some substantial way, you know, people are all over the map on how they're doing that. But one thing that is very consistent as a trend in many organizations is we're seeing not only the action, but the encouragement of organizations to be much more mindful about giving regular consistent coaching and feedback, not just at review points, but throughout daily interactions. We talk about that in detail in episode 361. So check that out if that would be of interest to you and in knowing what other organizations are out there doing in terms of performance management these days. And you can reach, of course, all of those episodes on the coachingforleaders.com website. And if you want to take the next step, you can activate your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. That will give you access to all of those past episodes. But in addition, it's also going to give you the ability to search the entire live library by topic. So if you're looking for something on assessments or feedback or talent development or personal leadership, as this today's episode is uh, tagged as, you can go in there and search for all of our expert interviews since 2011. It also gives you access to the free 10-day audio course, 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead, plus all of the member casts, my personal library, and a ton more that's inside the free membership portal. Coachingforleaders.com is where to go. Bonnie and I are back next week for the monthly question and answer show. If you've got a question you'd like to submit for our consideration for next week or the first Monday of every month when we do the Q&A show, go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback, submit your question, Thank you so much if you do. Have a fabulous week and see you next week back with Bonnie. Take care.